Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi. Alongside me, we got Taylor Dammel, as always, here uh, entering one of our last episodes of February, March, right around the corner. I cannot wait. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, I'm going to go with Vincent Council, former Providence College guard. Uh, PC man. Yeah, Vincent Council. He was an all-Big East team member, Taylor, for the 2011-2012 season. Made an all-freshman team as well. Averaged about 12, six assists, four boards. Not a bad player whatsoever. A, a good, good player for those first few years with Ed Cooley. So Vincent Council, he is your college hooper of the day. He had a few 25-point games, like 20-plus point games. Let's not forget about uh, Mr. Council there in, in Friartown. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feet is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. great to have you back I, can i start with gloating and and just say that i won because you texted me earlier today saying that you finally laid your weapon down and you conceded oh uh, dude i it's, it's something that i wanted to address publicly so i'm glad we're getting right into this um <laughs> this is like this is like you going up to the podium after a scandal is broken it's like what is taylor gonna say it really is um today Actually, specifically, uh, I returned all of my DirecTV equipment to the store here, and I am officially a YouTube TV subscriber in a full capacity. Um, also switched my internet. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Daniel, why did you decide? <laughs> You've been so adamant about... Yeah, right. Well, so here's the deal. Okay, Sue, and you know me quite well, obviously, lived together for many years. And I would not be offended if you answered yes to this question or not question, but statement. And that is, I have to be one of the least frugal people you've probably ever met in your life. Like you enjoy nice things. You enjoy. Well, but I'm just not, I'm a convenience person. And so I I generally will overpay for whatever, just because I'm not going to sit there and haggle over seven bucks. Right. But it's at this point, 
where DirecTV was literally costing me like 280 bucks a month, right? And I mean, it, it, it was getting to a point and then my, and then my uh, Cox Communications um, internet was costing me $130 a month, right? So we're $410 a month into, into this shit, right? So finally, I was like, okay, Verizon 5G internet for 40 bucks a month. YouTube TV for 72 bucks a month. Like, I mean, when you're talking about $300 a month in savings, like that's, that's legit. So, um, my wife would say it's really nice of me to spend, to say, finally save some money. I just think that my DraftKings budget went up a little is, is how I'm, is how I'm looking at it, you know? So, and I will say, uh, and, and hopefully we get a sponsorship out of this. Um, I did have YouTube TV as like the, you know, for Sunday ticket this year, uh, just cause that was the only way. And I actually did, you know, it was really neither here nor there. Uh, now there's still some things that I want to say that if I if there wasn't literally like $300 Delta between these two, like my preference would still be to have direct TV. Okay. The sure. wired, the wired situation. But the other problem is now is like, I feel like my cable and internet went out just as much over the last six months or a year as anyone's streaming platforms have. So, um, yeah, it just, it happened, you know, it happened, man. So I'm here. I'm with you now. I'm a YouTube TV er, and, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. <laughs> uh, considering it how feels good that you're on the team. I get it. Anti but, but, but it's, I will it's say mature my, of you. It's mature of you to have made that switch. I will say that my, my anti-streaming um, seed was really planted before things like YouTube TV came around, right? Like yes. YouTube TV is a legit service, right? Here, look at me backtracking, right? Like this, but um, I did not have contractual relations with that. <laughs> that <laughs> streaming service. service. Yeah. yeah, no, but YouTube TV is like literally the same thing. So I will say that, you know, back in the day, what I meant by that was like, don't give me, I'm not coming over to your Super Bowl party to watch this shit on FUBU TV or whatever from, five years ago so youtube tv at least seems to be legit and um here i go so um so may i admit something else publicly here as well it's a secondary I statement might... I, no i i, I have a second i have a secondary let's statement. hear it. press conference wow. isn't over yet so today as we're recording this is my daughter's six months uh we're not gonna call it a birthday but you know whatever she's six months ago today she came into the world beautiful for six months right and so let me just say being a dad is awesome it's been the coolest thing love it can't wait you know can't wait for that but that also means that for six months i've been doing the same shit every day right um tomorrow my wife and daughter are going to visit her sister in california which means for the first time in six months your boy has the house to himself <laughs> and i already have a tea time scheduled. I might go to the casino with my buddy. Like I got a happy hour on the, on the schedule. I got a lunch situation. I'm like, I am maxing out this 24 hours uh, of, of house to myself here. So um, that's the other thing I want to publicly state just in case there's any debate from anyone listening uh, potentially behind me right now. And that is being a dad is my favorite thing that I've ever done in my life, but I'm also super fired up to have the house to myself for the first time in Oh, at least over half a year, you know, yeah. so that's I mean, going to be huge. You're on record. So Danielle doesn't actually have to listen to you or hear you. You are on record so we can play this. But 
look, let, my only issue that I have, Taylor, is that you have the house to yourself and you're not going to be in it. You got tea, like, and that's fine. Spend it however you want to spend it. But you're talking about tea times, lunches, uh, happy hours, things of that nature. Man, I would be walking around naked in the house. That's how I would spend it. Well, I'm, I'm thinking my plan is is uh, lunch, maybe nap. Okay. All right. And then, then happy hour. Nap again, you know. Um, my tea time is actually a nighttime tea time at a place called Grass Clippings here, uh, one, one the first fully lit uh, golf course in Arizona. So that's something that you can't really do with a kid is go play night golf, you know. Right. Um, and then they don't come I mean, back. Look, to like spend 6, it how spend it how you want to. Spend they don't it. come back I, to like six p.m. the next day, so I got a whole another like almost full day. So don't worry, I'll be I'll be at home com- comfortable, you know, watching right. some basketball and whatnot. But, I just want yeah. you to make sure, yeah, leverage this time, enjoy this time alone. There's absolutely nothing better than that. Uh, I'm sure you're gonna miss them, obviously, but anyone who knows about having 24 to 48 hours by yourself that's when you run the motion offense that's when i run the motion offense which is like grab a frozen pizza some chips Mm. some zins or dip 30 rack of beer and you just watch college basketball i kind of do wish it coincided for you on a insane ass to ass jam-packed college basketball saturday but tuesday tuesday will be uh just fine the only other thing is gonna work fine for me i guess at this point so the only other thing I would say regarding YouTube TV before we get into actual college basketball is I'm glad you referenced the Delta in what you're paying because that was a huge deciding factor for me as well. And by the way, we had this conversation this year, like this college basketball season, and it's crazy how time flies. Uh, but we had that conversation this exact year. The previous streaming services like ESPN Plus and logging on and navigating and things like that, that was a pain in the ass. It is very seamless for YouTube TV. And while there aren't necessarily channel numbers or you can't like not a voice activated remote, you have everything you need in the in, in the top once you set your favorites. But yeah, man, I, I try and tell people this. I'm like, look, if if the price you're paying for Internet and cable isn't that bad. Sure. Go ahead and stay with your internet and cable, but I can tell you right now that, uh, what did I have prior to YouTube TV? Wasn't Comcast. Um, Oh, I think it was Xfinity. I had Xfinity and the lag, like I was getting texts, uh, five seconds before something actually happened. So it's not as if cable is a hundred percent up to speed either, which I know a lot of people worry about, but I, there was a lag with Xfinity. I was paying out my ass for that. The, uh, the, the, the service wasn't that great. Sometimes my, my cable would shit out. Like it was such an obvious slam dunk and I'm so happy that you're, you're with me now and you're going to be able to, uh, enjoy the quad box. That's the best part. Like it is mm-hmm. so it's perfect timing, uh, as it l- relates to college basketball and conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. I can't wait for that. So I'm glad you brought up the lag, and I'll just say one more thing here. I think sports betting being legal in Arizona actually helped me make this transition because cable's behind when you're trying to live bet on sports. It's it, it's, it's cable still behind what's currently happening anyway, right? So that was always my thing where I'm like, well, I don't want to lag where I'm like, whatever, behind. You're trying to live bet on a game. Well, if the lag for cable's four seconds and lag, ca- the lag for YouTube TV six seconds, like 
their actual lag from the game is like 30 seconds, right? So that's why it's tough to live sports bet sometimes because you'll open up the DraftKings app and you'll see the score is not what it's on the screen. It's already a play ahead. And so it's yeah. already ruined it's already ruined it for you anyway, if that's what you're doing. So it's kind of like, well, shit, I'm already ruining this anyway. What does it matter now at this point if there's a two like, second di- difference, you know? So is that lag worth 300 bucks, 250 no, bucks no, on no. a monthly so basis? Actually, it's really not. Actually, I'm glad we're having this open discussion because I haven't discussed this verbally with anybody yet. And now I'm going to say, listen, hon, my <laughs> sports betting actually helped us save money on. <laughs> this is great. I'm, I'm noting this all down uh, right now. So, yeah, so the sports betting part, helping me make fiscally responsible decisions. Yeah. So last week, Taylor, I said in I think it might have been a lane violation, but it was one of the segments and in, in getting and closing out the episode. It was a commentary on how folks are talking about banning the uh, handshake line because there was a huge brawl in the Southland between Incarnate Word and someone else that I'm blanking on. Um, But there was a huge brawl in the Southland, right? And so people were talking about banning the handshake line. And I was saying, look, do whatever you want. The handshake line doesn't move me all that much. I I can do with or without it. I don't care. It's honestly, I might ruffle some feathers here. It's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance before games, like either do it or don't. I really don't care. Like it's a nice gesture, but I I do not care. Uh, But I was basically saying that because as fans on the couch and viewing, I switch channels, right? The second triple zeros hits, it's over. So Wake and Duke, the second triple zeros hits, uh, I was close to switching over. I had my finger on the remote which is just, by the way, with YouTube TV, one to the right, one down, one left, whichever one you want in your quad box. But I was very close to getting out of there until I saw the court storm, which fine, but really until I saw Kyle Filipowski come up injured and lame and there were uh, a bunch of Duke staffers trying to come to his rescue and get him off the court. So let me start with this, Taylor. This is the topic everyone's discussing this week. Let me start with this. I, I I hate, we pride ourselves, Taylor. I think we do a good job of highlighting things that aren't talked about. We talk, we talk about mid-majors, right? I think we do a good job of talking about top 25 teams that some don't talk about or, or identify or even gas up. Like every single week, it seems like folks are talking about UConn or Purdue or Tennessee or maybe Arizona. Like, I think we do a good job of veering from that. But Taylor, I just want to preface this by saying it kind of pains me that, of course, we're going with the grain here and talking about court storming. But this is an NBA guy that we're talking about, the face of a brand program in Duke who got hurt because of fans. And this is stuff that's been bubbling up. So I want to apologize for not going against the grain and being unique. But I think we had to talk about this. Let me bring you in, Taylor, your thoughts on what transpired in Winston-Salem and how we move forward as it relates to court storming. Um, I've been trying over the last couple of days, I've been trying to figure out kind of like a path of how I feel about this without just having a bunch of random thoughts kind of as per usual. Um, Unfortunately, I kind of have a lot of random thoughts just on it. And so I guess we'll see if we can weave this into one thing here. Um, Let's start with it's a bigger deal. People are making it a big deal because it's Duke for sure. And I'm not trying to say that it's not a big deal, but people are definitely talking about it more because it's Duke. And it wouldn't even probably matter if it was flip. 
like it does matter that is flip, but I think it happening to Duke and the best player on Duke has more impact uh, than say if it would happen to the best player on Alcorn state, right? Like obviously uh, even, even compared to like Iowa state, another team that's in the similar rankings right now. Right. I don't think people would have cared as much um, if it was that. Um, I have seen, t- I'm also seeing people take this to a very extreme level of like Jay Billis today said that he thinks people should get arrested. And it's like, okay, let's, let's maybe take a step back. That seems like a Monday morning quarterback overreaction situation here. Cause it's not like people are out there for the most part uh, in, in what I've seen. Generally people aren't trying to intentionally hurt anybody, which makes to my next point. Flip said he thought it was intentional. I don't think this was intentional, you know? And so I, I think, I'm, I'm not, Flip, I'm absolutely not going to bang on by any means because he's the victim, so to speak, in all this. But I actually don't think it was, I don't think it was intentional. It'd be a really hard thing to time up for a non-athlete sitting in the crowd to try and <laughs> to try and hit this guy over the middle, right in the perfect spot of the knee. I think that was probably a little bit over overblown. Now, going the other direction. Uh, you know, we are fans of a team that has never rushed the court ever. You, you know, I mean, I think it, the last time it happened was in, was that UCLA game with Salim or something that we, it, you know, I think Arizona beat number one UCLA and they were number three, whatever it was. A, it was a monumental type that. of game. Right. Exactly. It was 20 plus years ago. If that's when it happened. And, or maybe there was one other game when Stanford was one number one with the Lopez twins but that was again, 20 plus years ago. Right. So generally just like a Duke or Kansas or anything, we're, we're fans of a team that doesn't rush court. We only get rushed generally once or twice a year. Right. Is kind of how it plays out. Just like any, just like any of these schools that are at the topic of discussion. So that's an interesting thing to talk about here. There's literally only like 15 schools in the country probably that have this issue regularly. And we don't need to name all those 15 because it's the 15 that you would assume. Right. So that's an interesting part of this discussion where you got 345 teams, give or take, that would love to rush the court and about 15 teams who are like, we can't do this 10 times a year. And so um, but we have talked about this before, especially as it relates to going to schools like in Oregon State or, you know, places like that over the year where if the crowd isn't taken care of. Um, it can get a little hairy. I know there were a couple of experiences with Sean Miller was Arizona's coach that were not great with court storming. So, I mean, I, I would hate to see, I don't know. I'd hate to see it banned, but it does. It is something that I think is a little overused now, you know, back in the day, it was kind of a fun thing where a complete underdog beats, you know, the number one team in the country, like wake was favorite favored by three points in that game. And I'm not trying to say it wasn't a big win for wake, but like, Wake isn't the sisters of the poor from a basketball standpoint. Um, They were favored in that game. So it's kind of like singing the na na, hey, hey, goodbye or overrated chant. It kind of is that same stuff where to me it's like we're way overusing this stuff that used to be like really a special moment. So I guess I would hate to see it banned. I would understand it, I think, at this point. Um, the real answer is better crowd control, but the suggestion yeah. of people, Hey, well, let's just wait for 30 seconds and then let everybody rush the court. Well, that's kind of, that's nothing more anticlimactic than that. You know, like that's not going to work. Cause then it's like, let's all just walk on the court and yeah, you know, the, the joy of it is hitting the court. Um, 
right when zero 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 hits right so um the the real the answer is better crowd control but i don't think that's a realistic thing that could happen at every arena in the united states so i know that's not a conclusion that's just like eight random thoughts but i'm not sure i'm not even sure where i fall on if it should be banned and the problem with college basketball compared to like just nba arenas not that this would ever happen in nba arena but every nba every nba arena is essentially the same exact thing right there's 30 arenas that are all the same thing uh, in terms of like where the players are sitting, where you enter the locker rooms, all that type of stuff. Every college basketball court is completely random. Y- you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you got tunnels on one side, tunnels on another. The benches are on one side. Vanderbilt, the benches are behind the damn basket. You know, I mean, that is going to be a really tough thing to regulate in college basketball because each individual court is so different from every other court, um, which is not the same pretty much across other sports, I, I would say, uh, to the same way that college basketball is. So that's going to be the tough part if we say, hey, you can rush the court, but there's got to be rules and regulations to this. Well, the rules and regulations at Vanderbilt just aren't going to be the same as they are at Maryland, which aren't going to be the same as they are at Wake Forest because all the arenas are so different. So that was, is going to be the toughest part to legislate, I think, of this whole deal. Yeah, it's it's just a sensitive conversation, not because not because it's sensitive in the sense of talking politics or social commentary or anything like that. It's just, I can kind of see both sides. So let me start with this and unpacking what I saw with Filipowski. Um, first of all, let me, let me start with everyone t- saying Filipowski initiated or, or hit the player, the the guy first. And like, this was retribution. This is karma. You are so beyond dumb and gone. Like, even if you, even if you, bleed black and gold like a wake forest fan you are so simple-minded and brain dead straight up like kyle filipowski these guys are analyzing kyle filipowski walking off the court like the zap rooter film first of all kyle filipowski is not a normal sized human being so when you say he reached his leg out that's probably a regular ass step for kyle freaking filipowski who's damn near seven foot not your pudgy ass who's like five nine and can barely get up the sidewalk without breathing heavy. All right. It probably takes you 500 steps to go up like one block. So let's start there. All right. Enough blaming Kyle Filipowski and saying that he initiated this. I'm sure Kyle Filipowski is saying to himself, let me pick a fight with like a bunch of stampeding rhinos at me. All right. Like, I'm sure that's a very logical thing for Kyle Filipowski to say. Now, to your point about him saying he got targeted, I disagree with him there. He's probably feeling a bit emotional, and he's probably hating on on Wake Forest. Like, it has not been good a, a good year as it relates to feeling disrespected if you're a Duke guy, right? Kyle Filipowski talked about Blake Henson getting up on the on the table when Pitt beat Duke. This just happened to him. So I think they're feeling a type of way. For real. Like, I don't think they're feeling very respected. That's what happens when you lose. But to say that Kyle Filipowski started this, like, seriously, please leave it at the door. I I understand fandom, but I cannot deal with stupidity. Let's start there. But number two, the Jay Billis thing, arresting people. I don't even mind Jay Billis that much, but that was absurd. That went way too far. Uh, You can't, like, feasibly, you can't do that. But also, I don't think the person that injured Filipowski was doing it on purpose. Uh, Now that's the issue though, Taylor, like that's what I keep getting back to is that I'm not a big sweeping change kind of guy. When the FBI stuff happened in 2017, I was just like, okay, whatever, just wait, just wait, just wait. And I, we were eventually proven correct that this was a nothing 
uh, situation. This, though, I genuinely think, like, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a sweeping change sometime soon. And there are a lot of different arenas and variables that it's tough to blanket cover everything. Uh, but when you have a NBA player, like Kyle Filipowski is not just a good college basketball player. He's a potential lottery pick playing for the Duke Blue Devils, arguably the biggest brand in college basketball. When that happens, yes, attention should be paid. And I'm just going to live in reality, folks. You mentioned it a little bit, but living in reality, when that happens to that guy on that team, changes might have to be made because that is a player for a team that is, this injury is going to potentially impact their season. And that like, if, if you're the commissioner of the ACC, or if you're a big, t- uh, a, a college basketball fan, Duke's performance, Kyle Filipowski's performance cannot, cannot full stop, cannot be impacted by the fans. It cannot happen. And I understand that rushing the court is part of college basketball. That's college basketball fandom. And that's great. I love that we can preserve it if we can preserve it. But at the end of the day, he cannot get hurt. That team, like that team cannot suffer because of a fan. So you have to figure out a way. And that's not our job, Taylor. Like I, I hate when people are like podcasters or people with pundits, like what's your, what's your, uh, you know, what's your excuse or what's your solution, brother? I am not getting paid like the folks that are, that are getting paid to make this solution. Okay. Like this, you have to get in the lab and figure it out. And if it does mean banning court storms, I'll survive. It sucks, but I will survive. Um, it would also banning court storms, by the way, would eliminate some terrible gestures and, and, and like vitriolic folks. Like I, people forget and didn't see, but Mark Mitchell, a wake fan went up to him with like the double birds. And I love all the hardos being like, Oh, Oh oh no, like sticks and stones, or it's just a gesture. Uh, you go on the court that close with someone giving you the birds. Like that's, those are ill intent. Like those are ill intentions is what I should say. Um, I guess the point that I'm making Taylor is I'd like to see a nuanced solution to this. I don't want them to completely ban court storms. I'd like to see what Creighton did, which was rope off Yukon and, and get them off the floor. And I guess you can blame John Shire and, and say, you got to get your guys off the court a little quicker than that. But it, that's not their job. Like imagine being a coach, dude, imagine being a coach talking about lineups and talking about scenarios and talking about substitution patterns. And then part of that is Oh, well, if we're down four with two seconds left, I got to sub this guy off because he might get his ankle rolled up. Like, do you sound, do you hear yourself people when you're blaming John Shire to be like, everyone else gets their guys off the court. Yeah. I suppose if the deficit is 16 with three seconds left, sure. Duke was down what, like four or five. Like you don't know what they were down four. Like you, this is not part of what you sign up for as a coach or as a player. Like, so I understand why people are are getting a little upset when they say players or fans should not be on the court. I don't think they should be either. I don't think they should be that close to players. Uh, So we have to figure out a way and it's not going to shock me, Taylor. Again, I'm not a big sweeping generalization guy, like a, a overhaul, but Kyle Filipowski 
Duke, this might be the perfect storm for some serious changes coming up. So am I off base with this comp? Is this going to be our college basketball version of like maybe like the targeting rule or like roughing the passer in the NFL where finally it took some major player to get hurt. Right. And it's going to be something that we maybe all disagree with in the, in the, the wide scale of things. But at the same time, we understand that like player safety is what is now the key to this. That's kind of my comp I think is like targeting and, and, you know, roughing the passer. Now it gets called all the time. 10 years ago, you know, we were used to everybody getting lit up, but you get too many injuries, all that type of stuff, stuff has to change. And it's affected my team a lot. It's affected everybody's team a lot, you know, generally negatively, almost nobody ever thinks it affects it positively, right? Every, it's always a negative effect. So, um, you know, maybe that's a good comp for how we're going to have to deal with not, it's not in practice the same, right? I understand that during the game, I'm just talking about the feeling of this is it's going to be something that's going to suck to see happen, but we're just going to have to understand it because it's a player safety thing. I think that's the, that's off the top of my head. That's a comp I can come up with for this. And what you said with Creighton is kind of uh, the point that I'm making. And you, you said it too, is, is that, yeah, it's they were able to cordon them off and get them off the court. But what about like at Michigan State, where the students are yeah. literally behind the bench? You can't. There's no. There's nothing you can do about that. You, you know, not that Michigan State's a court rushing team, but just as an example. That, I got um, Well, well, maybe they are this year actually. But um, <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, it's just going to be hard to to legislate. I I think that at the end of the day, that's probably what we're going to have. What we're going to see though is this is going to be some kind of banishment. Um, and the thing is, too, is like when people are like, oh, we'll just give the team a tech. Well, the kids in the crowd don't give a shit about that. You know, yep. I will also say this about how uh, people look at student sections, right? People look at basketball student sections and think it's the same thing as a football student section. They are not the same thing. They're absolutely not the same thing. Because I saw this comment 10, 20 times over the last couple of days. You get all these blacked out, hammered students at a basketball game. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay. Football, yes. Football, 80% of the students are hammered, right? I would say, at least heading into the arena, right? Basketball is not that. I mean, there are those people, don't get me wrong, but it is not the same student section that's at a football game am i am i wrong with that i don't think I no because like yeah, if you're 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 not tailgating on a thursday for a 9 p.m tip for the most part like maybe saturday I I don't like and basketball games that i would consider myself to have been like well because like football wrong. football games are once a week and they're an event you only have half of those at home football like, the, the, i wasn't sober yeah, at a event. single football game right yeah. I, but i mean basketball it was kind of like okay and and by drinking i meant like we would go to a bar beforehand have like six beers and go to the game not not we chugged a handle of vodka and then brought a handle of fireball into the student section like it, it's happening don't get me wrong but it's not even nearly to the same degree as football student sections are so i think that's been a good example this week to see to show that like the media doesn't quite understand how this is all working in here uh so that's one thing i just wanted to point out where it's like okay all these way kids sure some of them were drunk but we're also talking about like probably three hours since they consumed any beverage of any kind, right? Too. Yeah. But just wanted to throw that out there that I don't think this is a drunken decision that the student section is making to go do this, right? This is is not that. So that's not a. I don't even think that's a factor in this discussion. Is the is the level of sobriety of the student section yeah. for for this type of stuff? The whole issue is just the the 
layout of a football stadium versus a basketball stadium. Like a basketball <laughs> stadium is far. That's it. Like, but you can't change right. that, right? Like you're not going to yeah, change right. that. Uh, but that, I mean, that's the whole, whole purpose and whole issue of it. I guess my last point on this Taylor is if I were to fall anywhere, I'm always going to fall on the side of the players. And so it's amazing to me. It's fascinating to me it, it, to see grown men be like, damn it. The sanctity of court storming and court rushing needs to be held just because Kyle Filipowski of Duke got hurt and Caitlin Clark of Iowa got hurt. We can't get rid of it. And I'm over here like, dog, let me tell you something. Yes, you absolutely can because Caitlin Clark's one of the greatest to ever do it. Kyle Filipowski is one of the best players in the country right now. Like, I do not care about courts. I don't need to see court storming more than I need to see Caitlin Clark and Kyle Filipowski. Like, if you told me I have to live in a world where nobody can touch the court, no fan can touch the court, but I get to see Caitlin Clark in the NCAA tournament, and I get to see Kyle Filipowski for Duke in the NCAA tournament, I think you're an absolute moron, and you hate the sport. I would even go so far as to say that you don't like college basketball if you don't want to see those two just because you get to court storm. Court storming ain't that important. That's all I'm yep. saying. Yep. And you're, and I think I haven't done the math in terms of the research on this, but it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out in terms of like, there are definitely 15 teams in the country who are totally fine with no core storming ever happening again, because they don't, they don't do it anyway, you know? And so that'll be interesting to see how like, yeah. Oh, okay. So once out of every 10 years, you get to beat Duke and rest the court. Like you people, you'd work, you'd probably not even be in college and have this opportunity that you, most likely you know so it's almost like people are arguing over the idea that they hope to have this chance when in reality you don't even really get this chance that often so you're not we think of it because we see it as highlights like once or twice a weekend but when you consider there's 180 basketball games a weekend and we see it once or twice a weekend like it's really not affecting that many people um you know football i think is a, like you said a whole different thing i don't really think there's a nearly as much of a fear for all of this happening in a football standpoint, simply because this section is generally behind their own team's bench. And, you know, the entrance to the other team's locker room is on the other side. Like there's way more space to make this all happen. But um, so I'm not saying that this rule should apply to, F to everything. Maybe that's what they'll do just to kind of curtail all of it. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, I'm kind of with you. I think that it, they'll probably do something a little drastic to make sure this doesn't happen. Cause yeah, I mean, it's easy to say not, you know, one more point is it's easy to say when it's not your team, right? Yeah. But if the best player on your team got hurt yesterday, you were like, no, of course, course storm and let's do it. And then your place, best player gets hurt. You'd be like, I can't believe they're still allowing this shit. You know? So everybody's got to make sure they stay. Everybody's got to make sure they kind of stay in their lane of, uh, or have that same energy of saying, okay, if it was your best player, you have to think about the same way as if it was your rival's best player too. Dude, I would be fuming if I was a Duke fan right now, trying to figure out how long Kyle Filipowski's out, if he is out, hopefully he's not, but I would right. be livid. And, and like, that's what, and again, that's why you got people from wake being like, Oh, he did it on purpose. It's like, can you grow up for two seconds? Uh, and I also love the, the only other thing I love about placing blame on Kyle Filipowski guy just goes 40 minutes of absolute hell, hellacious basketball on the road. And yeah, what he wants to do is pick a fight. You, you need to, 
we're blaming Kyle Filipowski after pouring all of his energy and focus and attention into that basketball game. But, but now we need him to stick and move like Michael freaking Jackson when the running of the bulls is coming at him. Get, get real people. You absolute morons. Like it's some of this is just so, so disingenuous, but you know what the worst part is? You guys got me out here defending Duke. All year, I've had to defend Duke from being underrated, which they have been. They're a top 10 team. And, and now I'm defending like John Shire, who I thought was great in his press conference, trying to focus the attention on Wake Forest, who, by the way, won. Great win for them. But I'm over here defending Duke all year, man. And it's disgusting. It's amazing what happens when Coach K leaves. But yeah, it is funny where you... 50-year-olds 50, 50 with road rage complaining that a 19-year-old on a basketball court with a 1,000 people running at him can't keep contained, even though this dude just flipped a guy off at the intersection on the way uh, on the way home. You know, it's kind of like, come on. Like, have some self-awareness here of, of, what we're, of what we're arguing over here. <laughs> Nobody has any of that. So, uh, <laughs> but that's it. Again, I'm sorry we had to add our 1,000th commentary, which I'm sure you've seen or heard, listener. Uh, on this, but had to be uh, addressed. Taylor, let's pivot quickly now to Baylor. Can I tell you something, man? I don't have a grip on Baylor, and it's not one of those deals where I'm like, I can't tell if they're good or bad. Like, they're obviously good. They're good. But the question is, are they elite, right? So my internal monologue here, Taylor, is are they really good or are they elite? And I think I have to say that they're just really good. Uh, they're 14th in Ken Palm, 16 in the net. You look at their Q1 results. They're five and eight, right? They're five and eight against Q1 opponents. And those five have come down to Auburn who have struggled a bit here and there. Florida, Florida is not the same team they were earlier on in the season. BYU, who I don't know if a lot of folks are buying UCF at home, apparently is a Q1 win. And I think a lot of people say that's what's wrong with the net, but UCF at home and then Iowa state. Hell of a win. I, I can't poke holes in that Iowa State win with for Baylor. But those are their wins. Auburn, Florida, BYU, UCF, uh, and Iowa State. Their losses, Taylor, have come to Michigan State, which is straight up a potentially bad loss for them. Uh, Duke, who's a top 10 team. They've lost to Kansas State, which is another bad loss. Texas, which could arguably be a bad loss. Like Texas, Kansas State, MSU, they're all bubble teams. So is TCU. Uh, they've lost to Kansas, also BYU, and then, of course, Houston. And so what brought me to this, Taylor, is looking at that Houston game in the first half, they looked – I don't want to say they looked terrible. just looked like Houston was a clearly superior team. And then we saw them force overtime, and it was a great, great finish. Um, so all of this to say, Taylor, I think they're just a really good team. I think they're a sweet 16 type of team, like a second weekend team. But once they hit that quality opponent – a top two seed, I think that's when the road ends for Baylor because they have such an incredible offense, but no defense. They're barely in the top 100 of defense per Evan Miyakawa. Where do you stand on Baylor as it relates to pretty dang good versus elite? I think you kind of have to have similar thoughts on Baylor however you think about Kentucky. They're both in the top 10 offensively, and they're both outside of like the top 80 defensively. I know their schedules haven't been the same, but they kind of have super similar feels to them, at least for me, where it's like, okay, this team can get streaky enough to score 90, like five games in a row and go to a final four, but they also aren't good enough defensively where they might give up 90 to a, to a, you know, a 12 seed 
in the first round and get run out. And so that's that's my problem. I, I think both teams are better than that. I'm just saying that that's how bad both of these teams are defensively. Um, I will say this though, and it's and this is such a this is more of a commentary on college basketball and how we view it and just maybe even sports in general if we're gonna get really deep. Are we having this exact discussion if that guy just makes one free throw <laughs> to end the game? That's a good point. Eve's missy. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. I mean, our Houston is would be the number four or five team in the country, probably four, maybe right now. Uh Baylor would probably be seven or eight. And we'd be saying, wow, this Baylor team is dope because they just beat the Houston. You know, so I mean, I'm not I know that this is a wider discussion than just that. So I, I just don't want to make too many sweeping discussions just because if one dude makes one free throw, we're having a this is not our topic of discussion today. And I know that it's game of inches, make or miss league, whatever, all the bullshit everybody wants to say. But um, I, I because of that, I maybe would think of them uh, a little better. Like that game didn't not impress me. You know, like the fact that they came back against Houston, which has got to be yeah. one of the, if not the singular hardest thing to do in, in the country is come back on the best defensive team in the country. Um, I, but I think Baylor is, yeah, I think you're on with the, uh, with the, they're probably going to be like a four seed and deservedly so. I mean, I don't, the, nobody's going to look at their losses and think they're bad losses though, because they're the teams that they lost to are name schools. Mm-hmm. They're not even rankings and everything show that they're having all having down years. You would never say in, in any year that, Oh man, losing to Texas, Michigan state, whatever are bad losses. Right. And I think that even though the numbers are going to say that the minds of people just aren't going to allow them to convince themselves that those are bad losses. So I think they'll probably get a little benefit of the doubt as it relates to like the selection committee going into the tournament, uh, because those numbers or the numbers say something that the names don't say. Um, it is, it, yeah, it is hard to get a feel for this team. I still would say that the their loss imp- impressed me more than it it uh, negatively affected how I view Baylor. So I still think of them as good or better than I did maybe a week ago. Um, I know it was at home, but whatever. I just don't want to put that such a uh, any too or too much of a sweeping idea over the fact that if the one guy hits a free throw, we're talking about hey, can Baylor get to a two seed? You know, I I know it's one point. It can make that big of a difference. So I don't want to say that just one free throw is the difference between us not knowing if they're good or not, or then saying, oh man, this team could be a two seed in the tournament. Yeah. This game really just perplexed me, man, because I would say, I mean, it's your point about the free throw is very well taken and I, I can appreciate that, but I would say through 40 minutes, it was an even game. Like that game deserved overtime. Uh, Houston was that much better in the first half. Baylor was that much better in the second half. Credit to both teams. And then what happened in overtime? Houston just pulled away. Like they just grinded them to to death. And you're right. Game of ventures. Missy hits that shot or hits that free throw. Who knows what we're, what we're discussing here, but they're good enough to hang with Houston in 20 minutes for sure. But they like, I understand Houston's great, but they were down like 16 in the first half. And so when you come out with that lack of focus and you don't eventually get end up getting the job done against the likes of a Houston or a Kansas, that's when I personally think like, yeah, you're going to win games on offense. They might win a sweet 16 game based on offense. Like I'm erring on the side of, uh, and this has changed Taylor in terms of how I pick teams, but you got to be able to score to advance in the tournament. Baylor can absolutely do that. I'm not, I'm not as worried about Baylor's defense as I am like Kentucky's 
defense, but I just don't think Baylor has the chops. And I don't know this season if they're able to defeat an elite team, which is what they're going to have to face in the sweet 16. And so they're like, it's just so weird. I have, I feel like I haven't had this internal discussion, Taylor, in a long time about a team about that Delta or that plateau or that difference of damn, you're really freaking good, which is the worst Baylor is the worst Baylor. I like the, the worst I view Baylor is really, really damn good. I don't know if they're elite. Like, I don't give know me, if I can put them in a top five. Give me like a Baylor Alabama t- sweet 16 game. Just offense. offense the ass. Ass. <laughs> yes. No defense, no defense. Cause if you look at Alabama too, that they're similar in terms of their rankings as Kentucky, you know? So there's, yep. you look at the top 10 of, of offensive efficiency, the three worst teams of that top 10 defense are Alabama at 97. Baylor at 85 and Kentucky at 77. So, I mean, kind of similar. I think Bama's maybe better than those other two teams just because they're even so – they're arguably the best offensive team in the country by a lot of uh, metrics. Um, but, yeah, give me give me two of those teams matching up in like a Sweet 16 game because that would just be uh, a tr- absolute track meet. 150-plus shots put up in that game. That would be a, an awesome matchup. Just no defense to be found. Just 35 threes each team is putting up. I'd love that. I'm picturing like Ian Eagle or Spiro Didi's just going insane. Maybe it's a Harlan game. Like I'm totally, totally with you, with you Taylor. Uh, those are a couple tournament teams in Bama and Baylor. Let's talk about another tournament team. And I think they really solidified their spot this past weekend. And that's Washington State. I've been banging on the drum, man, the last couple of weeks. And even last week, we highlighted them just a bit because they came into the top 25. Uh, last week, I think they were at 21. What did you make of their weekend there for the Cougars in the desert? Because they had an unbelievable win in Tucson, dropped a terrible loss uh, then in Tempe on Saturday. But I think they really they really put the nation on notice. If you were freaking awake, of course the PAC 12 had to tip that game at 11 PM Eastern on Thursday between the Cougs and Wildcats two of the best team two the two best teams in the PAC 12 uh, idiots. But what did you take away from uh, the Cougars this weekend? God, there's still every week. I still have an example of why I can't wait to be done with the PAC 12. And, and <laughs> this week provided me multiple examples, both were both regarding Washington state. So let me just start there before I get to Washington State. Before let me complain before I before I praise here. Uh, yeah, so of course, typical Pac-12, the two best teams, which we've known they're the two best teams for more than like a couple days. Like we, this game could have been a 7 p.m. type of game that would easily. You own the network, just like just move the time, you know. So um, that's one thing. And then the second thing I'm so tired of in the Pac-12 is. And I'm going to sound biased, but Sub, I think you'll back me up on this. I know most people who listen to this don't pay attention to this nearly as much as we do, right? The Pac-12 works in a way where you travel with your in-state travel partner, right? So when Washington and Washington State come to Arizona, they flip-flop playing ASU and U of A, right? So ASU has benefited. I can't even explain how much they benefited from having being in the same state of as the university of Arizona basketball team, because Washington state beating uh, Arizona at Arizona was literally their best, biggest game they've had win in 10 years, maybe more 15 years, right? That's their super bowl. Right. So 
what we all we see this all the time and then what happens it was so predictable they were going to lose to asu the next night because we see this happen all the time they just finished their game at 2 a.m in tucson right a battle just a battle of a game against a top five team in the country and then they have to go on the road again 24 hours later 36 hours later and they're riding high and have overlooking ASU and this happens all the time. So I know everyone listening to this is like, Oh yeah, of course you'd say that about ASU, but Sue, I don't think I'm wrong with this. this. We've seen this happen. We see this happen all the time. So I'm excited that the travel system is in when Arizona goes to the big 12 next year, it's not going to be that. And I'll, uh, Arizona state probably picks up two or three conference wins per year because of this exact situation. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So before I pass it back to you, I, because of that, I'm going to give Wazoo a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in losing to ASU because I have seen this happen. We've seen this happen every single year. It happens all the time. It's happened to Oregon when Oregon was going to the Final Fours. It's happened to UCLA when they were the number one, number two, number three team in the country. It's happened to Stanford when they were the number one team in the country years ago. We've seen this happen to very, very good teams, much better teams than even Wazoo is right now. So I'll give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. They, they, they brought this up on the broadcast a lot. And now it's going to be the thing we hear about Wazoo for the rest of the season, because now they're going to get some shine is that they're the tallest team in the country yep. and against U of a specifically, that's a great matchup for them because U of a has size as well, but Wazoo is even bigger than them at the guard position. So Arizona couldn't necessarily out fast out quick them because we have some bigger guys. Arizona has some bigger guys. Whereas like ASU, they don't have any bigs that are worth a damn. So they just play small ball the whole time. And, and, and I could see that working against Wazoo. Uh, I've been very impressed with Wazoo. You have been the bus driver on this for sure. Um, they just hit tough shots. They, yep. they play good defense. I mean, they, there were a couple shots they hit that were not, cra- they weren't crazy shots. They were just, you have to be an elevated level of basketball team to play, you know, to, to score on some of the possessions they did. Their win in Tucson was not fluky. Um, you could say that maybe the last play getting a four point play, that was, I, I don't want to call it fluky. I don't want to say that it's lucky. You're certainly not going to see it. It was a, lot, a little though. lucky. It, yeah, you're not going to see, lucky. you're not going to see it a lot it, it, for sure. Off a broken they created play, that well, luck. It's okay. No. And you got it. Listen, you got to make the shot. We just said Baylor for sure. didn't make the free throw. And you know, so, I mean, we can't take credit and give credit, you know, or, you know totally. what I'm saying? We got to give credit when it's due here. So they did make the shot. So, uh, I don't think there's anything fluky about Wazoo. I think they're probably going to be a team in the tournament that most people are going to pick as an upset pick, but I'm probably going to take them a little further. It's just simply because we've watched them more. And I think they are a legitimately good basketball program. I think they're a well-coached basketball team. And what I like about them is a, of course, of course, our boy coach Harden, uh, as well, who I'll let you talk about his great weekend that he had, uh, there in Tucson, but I think they're a well-coached team. And I, I love, and when we talked to coach Harden earlier this year, he made the point of, you know, they've allowed, you know, Kyle Smith to build a program and not cut bait with him after two years or three years or whatever. And now he's been there for how many years? Four or five? Four or five. Yeah, right. And he's clearly built a high-quality basketball team. They're not going to win the national championship. You know, they're not going to a Final Four, not, you know, whatever, knock on wood, whatever. But they are certainly a viable basketball program. They are certainly one that is going to make the tournament quite easily now this year and one that I think will make some noise in the tournament just because they will be, with the right matchups, they will be a matchup nightmare for a number of teams in the country. Top 30 defensive team, top 60 offensive team, top 60 offensive. That's not amazing, but it's not so bad 
where it can get you beat. Like those, those metrics, those numbers, those rankings can get you to a second weekend, which would be monstrous, absolutely monstrous for the fine folks of, of Pullman, right? Those metrics, like you had mentioned, aren't going to get you to the final four or the national title game, but they will grind you out. Every single possession is a battle against these dudes. You talk about their height, but their strength is so good too. Oscar Kloof, uh, Ruben Chinyelu, who was tremendous on Thursday as a freshman, uh, and then Isaac Jones, right? So they had so many great contributors. So I'll start, I'll start, I guess, with Jalen Wells, man, 27. That guy had the Ooh. game of his life. What a what a game. And you know what? Everyone wants to get jokes off on Caleb Love for slipping at the end, blah, blah, blah. Caleb Love went shot for shot with him, or vice versa, however you want to talk about it. Those were two amazing guards going head-to-head, shot for shot, punch for punch. It was amazing. But Jalen Wells, have yourself a game, young man. Isaac Jones had 16. Uh, There was a stretch, Taylor. I think it was three or four possessions in a row. Kyle Smith was just like, give him the ball, give him the ball, give him the ball. And he could not be stopped. Isaac Jones was tormenting the front line. Most specifically, I think it was Mo Crevis who was, uh, he was giving hell to. And so we talk about Kyle Smith and his nerd ball, and we talked to Coach Harden about that. But he's also smart enough to be like, Isaac Jones is killing these dudes. Don't what we don't need to run offense, get the ball over half court, get it to him on the elbow and let Isaac Jones go crazy. And he did for a good stretch of the game. But Ruben Chinyelu, I, I can't get enough of how well he played freshman outscored his average with 12. He had 11 rebounds, double, double. That might've been the game of, of his career. Uh, and you know what? Oscar Clough, Ruben Chinyelu, those are guys and miles rice who didn't necessarily have the greatest game, uh, which is actually impressive for Wazoo. Their their amazing point guard didn't have the best game, but everyone picked him up. And Taylor, what I think it, it speaks to Kyle Smith, but it speaks to their identity and their toughness is like, I'm going to pose this question to folks listening who may not know about Wazoo too much. You know where these kids are from? Like, do you know where these kids are from? We got Oscar Clough coming over from Australia. We got Jalen Wells, who is at Sonoma State who I think was D2 and he's hitting shots in the McHale center, like nobody's business. Right. I think Isaac Jones came over from Idaho. We got dudes from Wenatchee Valley, like Jeremy Harden. You don't know where these guys are and that's okay because not everyone can pay hundred percent attention to teams and focus in on them. But the point that I'm making outside of everything, basketball related Taylor, what makes them dangerous is they do not care because they're not supposed to be here. Those kids are not supposed to be hitting big-time shots in McHale Center. Those kids are not supposed to be playing high D1 hoops in a major conference. Those kids are not supposed to be making the NCAA tournament, but alas. So, like, they're so inexperienced, Taylor, that it works in their favor in the sense of they're not getting their bright eyes, right, come tournament time. I think they just do not give a damn, and that makes them a very, very dangerous ball club. Well, and I don't, you know, you hate to give people credit after a loss, but I think that ASU loss was like perfect for them. It showed them that, hey, yes, we can go into, the, you know, one of the top 10 dif- difficult places to play in the country against the projected number one seed and win. But we have to play like that all the time, right? Even as bad as uh, ASU is not bad. They're oh, that's a bad loss. Eh. Yeah, no, you no, it's a bad you loss. cannot have that. Right, right. I'm, but my point is that, like, they, uh, 
they are not the worst team in the Pac-12, I guess. And but the point is that that they, anyone can beat them if they don't, if you don't, you sure. know, put that intensity into it. Is the only point I'm making here, right? So I don't want to say that like I view them better almost because of that loss. I'm not sure that's what I'm saying, but I think for them internally, and we discussed this with Arizona. I think Arizona this works well for them too, and you could see that response against Washington by Arizona mm-hmm. as well to be like, because I think some of the other losses Arizona has had, Oregon State, Stanford, oh. were kind of like. They were more, they were fluky, like just way off nights that weren't, you could tell that this was not the normal team that was playing. This Arizona, this game was Arizona playing well, even though they had their second worst game uh, offensively of the season. That was because of Washington State, not because of a fluky, just a bunch of makes. And why I know it's not fluky is because this was the second worst offensive performance of the season for Arizona. Their worst offensive performance of the season was at Washington State, which was also a loss. So that's that's what what makes it not fluky to me. Every time we text, how annoying and obnoxious am I when we're struggling? I don't think I was this game. Very is the answer. No, (laughs) I know I am. I know I am. Like during Stanford, during Oregon State, I'm just like, what the hell are they doing? This is so annoying. And I've tweeted like a teenager, basically saying I'm so annoyed with the Stanford loss. I'm so, which I am. I talked about it too. That should never happen. But this game, Taylor, I was just like, I mean, it's a rock fight. I was just like, this is Wazoo. And everyone was just like, I don't know. I, I saw a lot of tweets basically just saying like, oh, Arizona can't get up and down if they just did this. I'm like, yeah, if they could, if they could just do that, like they're not playing some bum ass team. They're playing a ranked, clearly the, I still think Wazoo's the second best team in the conference, but like this was not a fluke. This did not send me over the edge. I didn't want to do a cannonball in the Lake Michigan because of this loss. I just had a lot of respect for Washington state. It was really yeah. funny to watch college game day on Saturday morning because they, the crew uh, that doesn't actually watch basketball, um, the they were let me bang on Jay Billis again for the second time on this episode. Was him and Greenberg were like, oh, the likely winners of the Pac-12, Washington State, yeah, they're gonna walk to the title. They literally like these were words they actually That's... said, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, have you guys not ever watched Pac-12 basketball like ever before? Like we know that this is there's so much randomness to this. And, you know, I'm not saying that like you, we can't even say that about Arizona. We yeah. still got four games left here, you know? So it's just kind of funny that of all teams they pick, well, yeah, Wazoo, the likely winner of the PAC 12. I'm like, all, all they need to do is lose one time and they're not the likely winner, you know? So um, that being said, Wazoo's only got three games left uh, on the schedule. Uh, Washington being one of them. And then the LA schools all in, in Pullman. So, I mean, they should, knock on wood let me let me act like one of those guys now uh finish the season three and oh um so arizona can't they have to win out arizona has to win out to to win a conference um at this point and because i think wazoo will will win out and uh will finish second uh in the conference so i'd love to i would love to see you run it back for a third time in vegas oh yeah i think that would be Awesome. I, I don't want to see Arizona. I don't even give a shit about UCLA, like They're or done. any of the kind of our Arizona's like traditional, like, oh, I want to see yeah. it one more time. Like, I don't care. But give me the two best teams, which are Arizona and Wazoo. Clearly, they're clearly the two best teams yes. in, in the Pac 12. Let's run it back for a third time. Arizona's now last what lost what three of their last four three against last Wazoo. Four. And that's in and, and both of Arizona's last two home losses, I believe, were to Wazoo. So yes. uh yeah, impressive, impressive stuff they're doing there in the blues. Dude. <laughs> What Tommy's got three home losses in his entire tenure, one to ASU on a three quarters heave and 
two to wazoo is there another wazoo. one yeah right no never to like ucla Crazy. yeah right yeah but um it, it, yeah. it is funny how arizona did get lucky this weekend and you could say that uconn got lucky and purdue got lucky not not lucky in their performances but in the fact that they all lost and nobody just nobody wants to separate themselves you know yeah. houston did but houston again was a free throw away from losing right tennessee at least they took care of business. you know did they played probably the three worst teams on their schedule the, over the last course of a couple of weeks and i will say this you know arizona is still projected as a one seed right now arizona i think has to win out to to maintain yes. that now the only team i can see them passing at this point if arizona does win out let's just say for argument's sake arizona wins out cuz those other three to me are already it doesn't matter what happens unless uconn purdue or houston like loses no. three games they're they're the the fourth number one seed is the only one that's really up for grabs in my mind. Tennessee plays the you know Tennessee's last four games of the year. They got like Kentucky, Bama, right? Yeah, they have all their ranked opponents to end the season. So yeah, if Kentucky can go or if Tennessee can go undefeated in that stretch, then by go all the means one. have the one. Yeah, you know, I, I go, go right ahead. Yeah, no, totally. I I still. I'm still not vibing with North Carolina. I'm still not feeling it. No, I, I know, uh, yeah. You know, I, and even though they beat Virginia, like it wasn't pretty. And I'm not, this is time of the year where when there is this debate, you do kind of need some style points. Scoring 54 points in a kind of a struggle game is not going to convince me, even though it was on the road, is not going to convince me you, you're, you're better than a Tennessee or an Arizona or whatever, even though Arizona did lose at home. I get, I, I get that. I get that. But I think it's Tennessee right. at this right. point. Yeah, but Tennessee at this point has the most to gain by their last schedule, their yes. last four or five games of the season by far. I they've think, never, more than any yeah, other team like they've, they've never been they've never been a number one overall seed or not overall seed, but they've never been a number one uh, seed, which is crazy. But I think yeah, they can absolutely do that if they get through it, which is a gauntlet for sure. But I'd be happy to give them the one as long as we're in the West, man. That's all I I really care about. Do you like if you're a Tennessee fan? Do you like that you're ending the year? like this like i mean do you think it's going to give your team no, i don't uh, think they care okay yeah i like yeah, they're they're Auburn, at the point where they want to go win ncaa tournament games that they know they're good enough i don't think this stretch tells them how they're gonna they should feel either way or, or like a, a rational sure. fan should not take everything away from this four game stretch so it's it's auburn at home at alabama at South Carolina, that will be an interesting one to determine how good South Carolina is, I think, by the end of the year. But, boy, that last game in Thompson Bowling against Kentucky to end the year on, on March 9th, it, that's going to be a, an awesome – I don't even care where they're going to be ranked at that time. That's just going to be an awesome way to end the year right there. Yeah. So that's that's going to be a great game to look forward to. Yep. All right, Taylor, let's get out of here on some segments, uh, wrapping, uh, wrapping it on up. Damel Dimes, all right, last week we went on three. Unfortunately, oh, yeah, we are sitting now at 500, 24, 24, and three. Last week did not help that your these very vols did not cover 13 against Missouri, San Diego State. You took plus three against Utah State, and they just I think they lost by seven or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wisconsin minus seven against Maryland did not hit. I think Wisconsin only won by like five or four or something like that. Wisconsin ugly game, sucks. which you talked about. I'm yeah, so tired of them. They're I, like, even though they won that game, Maryland's terrible, and I can't believe that they could even stretch that out to more than a few points. So, yeah, yeah. that was that was who you got this week, though. Frustrating. So, 
Well, let's start with some let's let's bet on some good teams. That's kind of what my thought is here this week is let's go with some good teams. Houston, speaking of them, the number one team in the country, they're taking on Cincinnati at home there at the Fertitta Center. Fertitta Center, excuse me. Uh, and they are 13 and a half point favorites. I think they're just going to smoke Cincinnati. I know Cincinnati had a good stretch there for a little bit, but I think just like we talked about wake up calls, there's no better wake up call than eking out an overtime victory on the road, you know, and kind of a, a great. Not that they haven't had a great foundation, but a great foundation to kind of launch the rest of the year to be like, okay, we can beat a really good ranked opponent on the road, survive. So I think they're going to parlay that into uh, a big win over Cincinnati. So that's Houston by 13 and a half against Cincinnati. Now, a team that's kind of sneaky here, and I was very high on them in the preseason. I haven't checked their bracketology, so I'm not sure if they're even where they are at in this discussion. But how about Syracuse being 18 and 10 right now? I mean, maybe a little better than what was anticipated. Uh, They won by like a million, I think, on uh, Saturday. Did they not? At one point, I think they were up like 43 Uh, to 16. I know they were. I know it was. Oh, it was uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, and Notre Dame sucks, I know. But but I mean, they smoked them. So uh, Syracuse home, only a one-point favorite to Virginia Tech. I don't see much difference between these two teams. Um, I think Syracuse is is playing decently well right now, and I think they have at least a, a decent amount of talent, due to mints, so on and so forth. There, so I'm going to take since I'm going to take Syracuse, only a one point favorite at home against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's yeah, I can't even say Virginia Tech's not as good as Syracuse. They're just not as good as Syracuse at this point. I'm thinking, so I'm going, I'm going Syracuse by a point is all uh, against Virginia Tech at home. And then this one is going to be a big, I don't know, big. No, we're going to go big. It's going to be go a long way to fee, see how I feel about this team. Kentucky going on the road to a to a pretty good Mississippi State team. Now, Kentucky is three-point underdogs. So essentially, you know, for home court is three points, so, so they say. So essentially, it's an even matchup on a neutral court. I feel like Kentucky... I don't know. I just kind of, this is a gut one. I got no reasoning for this one other than I think that they can start to maybe run this out a little bit. Um, they, they're the more talented team, that's for sure. But we can say that every single time Kentucky takes the court, that's generally not the discussion. But for some reason, this Kentucky being an uh, underdog, uh, you know, at Mississippi State caught my eye. So we're going to roll, take a little risk on this one. Uh, Mississippi State's good basketball team. They both have the same record in 19 and 8, but I, I like this Kentucky plus three. It's one of those situations we talk about all the time where y- you don't get all that many opportunities to bet on Kentucky as an underdog yep. uh, in normal years. And so I'm going to take advantage of that, even though that didn't work at all uh, in my reasoning over the weekend. Uh, we're going to continue on that track because it's got to work at some point. So it's Kentucky plus three, Syracuse minus one, and Houston minus 13 and a half. Got a good slate. Got a good slate this upcoming weekend. Let's get back above uh, 500. Before we do that, though, let's highlight some mid majors. What are we? What are we highlighting today, Taylor? Not so mid. Can I change the name of the segment to even more mid? Oh, maybe. So we're how, going about UMass? how about UMass? How uh, about UMass fully gosh. committing to moving to the MAC? Uh, all sports UMAC. starting. Yeah, starting in two years. Uh, Really interesting. You know, I know that it's more than just about basketball, but um, yeah. I think if you're Frank Martin, friend of the program, Frank Martin, talk about a real opportunity to win win this conference every single year. You know, I mean, for a basketball perspective, certainly the moving down in conferences wouldn't be 
the number one thing you'd be looking for, but you got to, if, if you're a coach of this program, you got to swing it as a positive in some, in some capacity to say, Hey, this, it's our conference to lose now at this point. Um, and that's how I would, I would look at it. If you were UMass, um, you're a Boston area guy, you know, would, you know, know this way more than I, I do. What do you think about UMass to the Mac? I think it sucks. And first of all, I don't know if it's their conference to win, by the way, Toledo's nasty. Toledo runs okay. that conference with an iron fist every single year. And so Frank, hey, they'd be, right now, know. right now they would be first in net in the Mac. It, UMass. Would, oh, this UMass right would. Yeah, okay. I believe so. I mean, UMass is having a good season. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't they, know. I don't right. dropped a tough one against St. Bonaventures, but like, I'm not saying that they're going to walk into the Mac and just automatically dominate it. Frank Martin's going to have to now go to Ohio uh, every single, every single year. Uh, I don't know. I, I hate this for UMass. They're following the football money fine, but it just seems like it's the end of UMass basketball as we know it. I think Rothstein tweeted out something very poignant temple and UMass are no longer going to be in the a 10, two of the flagship programs uh, or two programs that we think about when we think a 10 hoops, it kind of sucks. Like I don't, I don't picture UMass as a Mac program, but with all this realignment, I suppose it, uh, it is what it is. So hopefully UMass can win the a 10 tournament. Um, look, the a 10, Everyone thought Dayton's some buzzsaw. They're still a game back of first place. Uh, who's leading it? Richmond and uh, someone else that I'm blanking on in the A-10. I forget who's up there with Richmond, but uh, it sucks. I don't like UMass to the Mac. I don't like it at all. But we got, if you're I'm playing, sure you got to swing it as a positive, though. We got to swing this as a positive somehow. I think that's what he kept saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so even more mid is, is the name of that segment. For me. Yeah, it is a step down from the A-10. You're not wrong. Uh, my not-so-mid, I'm going to go to the West Coast, Taylor, one of my favorite cities in America, San Diego. Am I going to talk about San Diego State? No. Am I going to talk about the Toreros? No. I'm going to talk about the UC San Diego Tritons. I'm sure you have, you've heard about those other two teams, even the Toreros by, like, being adjacent to St. Mary's and Gonzaga in the WCC. But UC San Diego, the Tritons, are having a tremendous, tremendous season, and I want to give them their props. You've probably also heard of UC Irvine uh, because they peek their heads into the tournament, I don't know, once every two, three years, it seems like. UC San Diego is tied at the top of the Big West with Irvine. Uh, the Tritons are 13-3. and three in conference 19 and nine overall. And folks, this is just their fourth year uh, of being division one. Eric Olin has done a tremendous, tremendous job. So the first season they were seven and 10 next season, they were 13 and 16 next season. They were 10 and 20 this year, huge meteoric jump at 19 and 19, and they're going to finish above 500. What stinks Taylor is if you noticed and heard me fourth year division one, what does that mean? They are ineligible for the NCAA tournament, which absolutely stinks because I could certainly, certainly see them winning the Big West Conference title uh, when tournament time comes, and we're going to have to miss out on them. Four years is way too many years. I understand the purpose of and the spirit of the rule, but four years, man, for the love of God, I think we've seen enough teams that are, and, and you have to strike while the iron's hot with these types of seasons mid-majors low-level mid-majors like these guys 
their their best players are going to get poked. And so for them not to not be able to show what their talents are on the big stage, it really hurts. But for now, I'm going to shout out and highlight UC San Diego for the tremendous year that they're having. Bryce Pope hits a game-tying shot, crazy three, uh, against UC Irvine to force overtime, and they win in overtime 92-88. to 88. Bryce Pope is an awesome name. Uh, and they're just super balanced. I love how balanced this team is. They have so many contributors from all over. So shout out to the Tritons of UC San Diego and just the city of San Diego. It's one of my favorites. So it is especially dumb in today's world where you there's no transfer rules at all at this point that you're now setting these teams back even further because everyone else can just transfer freely year to year. And that was the point of not allowing a team to, to do it. It's like, oh, you could start a new school and then instantly get 10 transfers and go to the tournament. Well, now any team can do that. So why are we punishing these the new schools to D1? Let me tell you a very quick story because we're running long here about uh, my experience with the UCSD Tritons. Okay, when I was in high school, back when I was actually good at golf, I was just firing off emails like the summer of my junior to senior year just to see if I could get some to stick. You know, hey, interested in your golf program? I wasn't emailing like, you know, the actual high major Texas. Yeah. Right. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't doing that by any means, but I was like, yeah, San Diego, UCSD, you, you know, USD Riverside, like all through that area, just any of that type of stuff. Right. Well, I was just doing a copy and paste email. Right. Say, Hey coach, whatever, whatever interested in, uh, interested in Torero golf. Oh, wrong one. I never went and fixed the, the uh Terrero. The, yeah to the Terrero, Triton. to Triton and they were the only school that never emailed me back so that's oh <laughs> that's a high school mistake though man. it totally no it totally is it totally is but uh, it's so funny even 16 17 years later I, whenever I see those two schools I'm always like damn it you know what could have what could have been you know so, I mean it, it this podcast probably wouldn't be I'd be on tour right existing. now you know yeah that's, that's yeah. true who would have known? But you'd be proud of the tour, masters. If I was on tour right now, I want to have the house to myself tomorrow. So, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a lot of give and take, you know, pluses and minuses uh, for sure. It is insane how many like SDSU, UC San Diego, and then just San Diego. Like, I'm, I'm sure Southern California people are like, no, it's very obvious what the difference is. I can tell you that people across the country, when they see three teams in the city of San Diego, they're going to be like, why the hell is there so many? That's three division one teams in a relatively, I don't know. I shouldn't say small city, but I don't know. That's kind of crazy. Uh, Taylor, your lane violation. Um, my lane violation is due to do Tennessee Triton or, instead me. of Torero. Yeah. That's right. No, it's, violation. no, it's actually the Virginia Cavaliers offense. So <laughs> I know that we bang on Virginia all the time about their offense and, but they haven't put up 50 points in, the last three games and in today's version of college basketball that's incredible and i saw this uh tweeted today and i thought it was so perfect people that talked about the 2016 through 2021 uh virginia they they tweeted about or thought about virginia like how this team actually is like those Mm -hmm. teams were actually good offensively they were just slow this team is slow and bad offensively. Yes. Like those Virginia teams were obviously nasty, like number one seeds, went won the national title, all that. You you're not 
going to be awful offensively and win a national championship. They were just slow. So people used to hate on them, myself included, as if they were like, this was the actual skill level of their offense. So um, they aren't scoring 44, 47, 48 points because they're slow. They're slow and bad offensively. So that's my lane violation is, boy, I mean, imagine being a Virginia fan. I mean, obviously you probably want to trade the last 10 years for almost anybody, maybe Villanova. That's about it, you know, um, but 44 points a game. Uh, it's just a rough thing to watch over and over and over. Again. It's ugly. I've said it a million times in the last few years, but Virginia fans should feel so happy that they got their one because if they didn't get their one, they would have arguably the most embarrassing NCAA tournament loss in, in history. And you've had so many dominant teams and you have nothing to show for it. That would be gut-wrenching. And then you got to watch uh, your offense do this. My uh, my other thought, I'm glad you brought that tweet up because, yeah, they were slow, but they also had dudes like Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter who are NBA-level guys. Uh, Jay Huff was in the NBA. Like these are guys that have played NBA minutes. And so it's irresponsible to think of them uh, as some terrible, terrible offense. My lane violation, Taylor, just hangovers in general. We talked about Washington state being hungover and losing to ASU. Creighton's another one, man. Creighton got a great win at home and then they falter against St. John's. Now to Creighton's credit, Nobody was beating Rick Pitino in that all-white suit. Nobody's beating St. John's when Steve Sharippa, Bobby Bacala, is in the building. Nobody's beating St. John's when Tommy DeVito's agent is in the building. And all three of those things happened. Tommy DeVito's agent, Bobby Bacala, and the white suit. So uh, I, I give I give respect to Creighton, or I, I give them a little bit of grace, and we already gave grace to Wazoo. But if you're a fan of those teams, I think especially Washington state when you're like, what a win. This was huge. We're in the driver's seat for first place. And then you throw up a stinker like that. It, it, it really screws with folks emotions. All right. And Creighton, you got your fans hyped up and I don't, I think your fans know that you're not going to shoot as well as you did from three when they were unbelievable, but they were clearly the better team against the number one team in the nation. And then you go up against a struggling St. John's team and lose. So uh, hangovers in general, no good. That's my lane violation. Taylor, get us out of here on an easy layup. What do you got? Well, I'm going to stay on the Creighton trend. Uh, and that's Greg McDermott uh, nearing a lifetime contract with Creighton, something that we kind of have discussed multiple times over the last two months about how kind of he kind of underpaid uh, you know, and undervalued and uh, cool to see this come to fruition as it's been a topic of discussion between us on this podcast uh, in, in pretty recent times. So uh, shout out easy layup. I don't think there's anyone in the country who, who dislikes Greg McDermott. Right. You know, and so to him, for him to be able to stay there um, for as long as he wants at this point is a really cool opportunity and something that he is certainly deserving of. So that's, that's an easy, easy layup in, in support of that. Let's see pen to paper, but what did we say when Holtman got fired when we were recording right after that? We were talking about how there's rumors about Greg McDermott, and you and I were just like, what? Yeah, no. Yeah, clearly not going to happen now. No. Uh, my lane, or excuse me, not lane violation, easy layup. A U.S. stamp is honoring John Wooden, uh, and it was unveiled on UCLA's campus on Saturday with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jamal Wilkes on hand to honor their coach, 
who guided the Bruins to a record 10 natties in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, so that's what I'm getting behind. John Wooden now on stamps, on postage. And so I would buy that if I was a UCLA fan. Just as a college basketball fan, I might buy it. Uh, I think it's funny. It seems as if Kareem and Jamal Wilkes are every other week going to some sort of ceremony because they've been part of such great winning traditions, especially Kareem, not only with the Bruins, but also the Lakers and also being part of uh, some of the greatest teams ever. It's just funny. Every time I see them, they're either courtside or they're at some sort of ceremony. Um, but hat tip, easy layup, the great legendary John Wooden now on some post postage. Uh, he's getting a stamp. I think that's great. We're going to get on out of here. We got a great week of hoops. Taylor, like I said, we're around the bend. It's almost Jerome time, my friend. Thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.